Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Today, the Mortification of Spin crew is calling out more evangelical craziness. We'll find out what's the latest and greatest form of baptism and what candidates some people think our evangelical leaders and pastors should tell us to vote for. Let's listen in. Well, welcome to today's show. The gang's all here. Myself, Carl Truman, the diva, Amy Bird, and uh, our old friend and sparring partner, Todd Pruitt. Uh, Glad to have you with us. And we're going to start by Todd bringing to us the latest nomination for the Desperate Theologizer Award. Todd, what have you got for us? Well, thank you, Carl. Uh, We found a little story from The Telegraph out of the UK, and uh, the headline is simply this, Church of Scotland to introduce online baptism in bid to boost membership. Well, obviously, when you hear that, you've got to follow that on. Online baptism, what could that possibly mean? And, of course, the whole uh, point is they're asking questions about what it means to be community. Do you actually need to be there? Do you need to be in the church? Uh, they, they hold that, uh, that baptism is a sacrament. At least they you know, are, are still at least saying that. But you don't have to be, or possibly may not have to be, uh, physically present uh, with the church, in the church, to be uh, baptized. And so they're introducing this idea of, of, of online baptisms. They haven't started it yet, the Church of Scotland, but they are, they're in conversation. Um, it, it, one uh, vice uh, uh, convener uh, of, of the Mission and Discipleship Council of uh, the Church of Scotland uh, said that there would be, quote, a proper grown-up discussion about the theological and practical arguments uh, before any uh, specific proposals would be made. And he goes on and he says, the question of the relationship with the church when someone is online is being driven by a growing reality on the ground. We have an increasing number of churches with an online component, and they are asking questions about what does it mean to belong to the church. So we have something here. Uh, Technology is going to change the way we do the sacraments. I don't know what that means as far as online baptisms. I know at my church we've added a salad bar for the Lord's Supper. Um, So, uh, But uh, Church of Scotland, uh, uh, considering online baptisms. I would just love to see what that was going to look like. Well, yeah. If you've got rid of two of the other of the three marks of the church, if you've got rid of the word and you've got rid of discipline, <laughs> hey, why not throw sacraments out as well? You know? Exactly. Uh, exactly. Well, like so, I said, as long as they have church in their title, I mean, I then that's church. all you need, man. Right. Yeah. I mean, it works for Scientology. Yeah, yeah. church yeah. of Scotland. So there you go. Yeah. yeah. So there you have it. We'll, we are, we, we'll wait with bated breath to see if the Church of Scotland uh, embraces uh, online baptism and we will keep you of course the listeners of mortification of spin we will keep you informed so we're breaking new ground here todd mm-hmm. by awarding yep. the the title of desperate theology this week to an entire denomination yes church of scotland you are this week's <laughs> desperate theologizer So long 
you're a hard one But I know that you got your reasons These things that are pleasing you Can hurt you somehow <laughs> So anyway, moving to uh, more trivial matters uh, What do you got for <laughs> us uh, on, the, on the discussion front this week, you two? Well, um, we, we all three have been talking a little bit about uh, a, a blog post that created quite a stir uh, this past week out of the Gospel Coalition. Tabidi Annie Abwili um, uh, brought in a, a guest a writer for his blog, a member of his church, uh, who comes right out and says in the title of the, of the post itself, uh, Evangelical Leaders Tell Us to Vote for Hillary. So there is uh, the very title lets you know he shows his hand, so to speak. Evangelical leaders, whoever they are, I would imagine that includes pastors, tell us to vote for Hillary. Well, that's like throwing red meat out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are numerous, well, let's not call them problems to begin with, but there are numerous issues that need to be addressed. Yes. This, I think there's the... First of all, one would want to make a distinction between politics and party politics mm -hmm. when you're discussing how appropriate it is for ministers to speak to these things. And secondly, there's obviously the issue of the venue, a, an avowedly Christian website uh, being right. used to, to promote this. So, Amy, what do you think about the distinction between politics and party politics? Do you think that's significant for how an ordained minister should speak or should, in this case, kind of sponsor speech relative to uh, the issues of the day? Yeah, I just don't know. I don't think it's appropriate at all for evangelical leaders, particularly pastors, I guess I should say, or church leaders, to tell us to vote for anyone. So, I mean, whether they were going to say vote Republican, you know, for a party, or to say vote for this particular leader, um, I don't think it's right to bind the congregant's conscience on matters that involve prudence and wisdom and discernment as uh, citizens in the country. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I think it's a little bit like having the American flag in your church. That sends a signal. Mm -hmm. Church is meant to be a place where all people are welcome regardless of their na nationality, frankly, regardless of their politics. Mm -hmm. right. uh, and so it's, it's very hard for a minister, even if he says, look, in this context, I'm speaking as a private citizen, not as a minister. It's very hard mm -hmm. for a minister to separate his ministerial status from his speech when it comes to party politics. Well, this know, is a platform. I mean, this yeah. is, they're oh, saying yeah. to do that, which yeah, I yeah. much rather read evangelical leaders faithfully serve in your office so that we will be equipped with the wisdom of God and served by his means of grace and, and yeah. sent out with illuminated and sanctified minds and hearts full mm -hmm. of conviction. And then wow. we can have the ability to think and discern for ourselves as dual citizens who we will vote for. Did that's you read a, that from a cue card? Because that's that, fantastic. That's Thank a, you. Fantastic. Thank that's you. a terribly long. That's a terribly long title for a blog post. Though, I thought, I think the it's thing. Hey, Carl said it was intelligent. <laughs> she must have pulled it off Wikipedia. She's got something <laughs> on Wikipedia there. <laughs> well, that was a long sentence for you, Amy. I'm, I'm impressed. <laughs> well, I think I think I think pastors are going to inevitably uh, deal with uh, politics uh, in general. 
Um, but yeah, it's it's the party politics that uh, that that it begins to get a little tricky. Um, I would never, uh, you know, use my office to tell people who to vote for. I do comment on political <laughs> issues. Yeah, yeah, you just rubbish everybody you wouldn't vote for. Absolutely. I, I, I destroy everybody out there except for one person, and then people are able to connect the dots. Now, um, th this, um, this political season is, is quite unique in that we have the two major parties um, running individuals that are thoroughly um, uh, distasteful in almost every conceivable way. Uh, so I... I, I have been asked, I've been asked on social media, I've been asked privately, um, uh, who, you know, could you vote for either one of these candidates? And I've said, honestly, as a matter of conscience, and I always make it clear, as a matter of conscience, I can't vote for either candidate. Um, but I'm also not going to go out and campaign for a particular candidate. And I certainly won't discuss it from, uh, from the pulpit. But, but I have no problem saying I can't vote for any individual who would advocate these particular policies, so uh, you don't and, have and, a and that that I feel that I feel comfortable with doing as a pastor because um, there are matters of public policy that um, uh, are in direct violation of God's law, and so I have no problem saying any candidate that would advocate. Uh, XYZ policies, I would not be able to vote for. Well, and how, how do you pick which policies? I mean, between, and I'm, I'm just asking this because, I mean, I think there's a lot of one issue voters out there in some ways, but I think, you know, I think, everybody, I think everybody is a one issue voter from one degree or another. In other words, I think everybody would be able to locate one issue that if they agreed with this person on everything else, if they crossed a line in this one area, they'd say, oh, that's a deal breaker. But what, happen what happens if both candidates agree on that one issue? To me, it then becomes electorally insignificant. Mm -hmm. You know, because it's not going to, so one of them is going to win. Right. Mm -hmm. One of them's going to win. So you should then factor that out of your thinking and vote for the one that you think is going to, to do best on the other issues. You see, for me, this election, and I don't have a vote, I, I'm just a green carder. Frankly, at this particular moment, I'm very grateful that I don't have a vote. <laughs> but it would seem to me that one could, say, make an argument for a candidate on the basis of the potential Supreme Court nominees uh -huh. yep. they're going to make. Yep. Even if in the short term on certain political policies, they're not going to make any difference at all. Because my children are going to grow up in the world that's shaped by the next three or four Supreme Court nominees that could come up in the next eight years. Exactly. And you know, then I'd say, well, we look at the candidates and who is more likely to choose a sane member of the judiciary? Right. And it's, that insane, is... it's insane, frankly, that society has come to that point, but that is where we are at this particular moment. Right. And that is the one issue that comes close to persuading me in this particular cycle, but has not yet persuaded me. Um, so, uh, you know, as far as, you know, what are those issues uh, to Amy's earlier question? Well, and, and we've, we've mentioned this before on past, past podcasts. Um, you know, Christians who believe God's word, who are committed to uh, the truth, can, can honestly disagree over things like, tax policies and the best ways to address 
uh, certain situations regarding tax policies and spending and, and that sort of thing. What about the um, Second Amendment? Can we disagree over the Second Amendment? Um, well, just a minute. Uh, <laughs> I'm, 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 trying, I'm trying to keep it simple at first. I'm trying to keep it simple at first for the sake okay. of the argument. Okay. Um, but when it comes to an issue like abortion, then I, I have no problem publicly and from the pulpit speaking out on that um, because I believe that it is a clear uh, a violation of God's law. My, my denomination uh, has a very clear position on abortion, and so I feel very comfortable speaking about that issue uh, from the pulpit. And so therefore, nobody's surprised if I, in a conversation, would say, I can't vote for anybody who's pro-choice. That's just a, 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 a natural application of what the position of my denomination is. Yeah, but here's my question. Uh -huh. If there's someone in your congregation who uh -huh. also agrees that it's you know, morally irreprehensible to have right. a, a, an abortion, right. but yet they have made some arguments based on um, you know, Supreme Court nominee or health care or national defense right. or the economy yeah. or race, Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe any of these issues has has made them decide that it would be more prudent to vote for a candidate who happens to be um, for abortion, even though they are very much against it themselves personally, and then they vote for that candidate. I mean, yeah. you can, can you bind their conscience in that way? Well, I can't sense. bind their conscience. If they ask me about it, I can tell them why I think that that's not good reasoning. But, but I can't bind their conscience. So, so to bring it back then to the, the original issue, do you think, though, it's appropriate for ministers to use their pulpit or their platform to be directive about how Christians should vote? No. No, I, I agree with you there. I think, mm -hmm. I think those posts that appeared on that blog were very problematic. Extremely uh, problematic. Yeah, problematic from a... Yeah, yes. and there was some debate, I don't often read comment threads, but there was some debate in the comments threads about uh, tax exemptions relative yeah. to that. And I think, yeah, you're starting to really push the envelope uh, on the tax mm -hmm. exemption front when you start using what is a not-for-profit Christian website and gospel-centered yeah right. gospel-centered uh, website to push partisan politics yep. whether you're pressing republic and i'm not i'm not my beef here isn't with the candidate being proposed my beef is with the principle of what was going on right. yeah yeah i, mean, I would even, have, <clears throat> even I, todd would you say from the pulpit mm -hmm. you shouldn't vote for either candidate no i would not say that from the pulpit absolutely not um i i, I can envision a scenario where, where maybe I might, if, if the situation was perhaps so egregious, and I think we're close to that, but, I, I'm, but, I, but so far, I mean, it would have to be, wow, it would have to be something so clearly egregious um, with, uh, with the, the, b before I would do that. But, but I'm comfortable talking about that with members of my church as they ask me, as they enter into conversations with me. I'm comfortable and have been comfortable telling them, look, my conscience won't allow me to pull the lever for either one of those two candidates. Um, I, I'll go, I'll either write in a candidate, but I'll, I'll certainly vote for some of the other uh, people, uh, some of the state offices and some of the uh, Senate and, and House uh, races. But I... I but you're not speaking with the authority of right. the preached I, word when you're yeah, having this I, conversation. Exactly. And I always make it very clear. I routinely use the phraseology of uh, my own personal conscience. 
um, that that I'm bound to not vote for um, people. Uh, you know, I, I I just can't pull the lever for for pro-abortion people. I can't pull the lever for a a big dumb jerk. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I just can't do it. You know, a, a guy who I believe is a a liar and a, and a cheat, um, or a woman who's an inveterate criminal. I, I just can't do it. Yeah, and you're not go- you're not going to use your pulpit in whatever form, online no. or otherwise, in order to promote party politics. No, and that's what I think was so egregious about right. these particular yep. particular postings. Yep, and the moral reasoning was so shoddy as well. Is well, that's that, a diff- you know, that's another issue as well, of course. Yeah, it, it, you know, the whole issue of telling pastors, quote, evangelical leaders, telling pastors to actively campaign for someone who is a pathological liar, um, who's broken laws, who is radically pro-abortion. Um, so so I, I, was, I was stunned on two levels. Yeah. Telling pastors to do party politics yeah. and telling them to do party politics for someone who is, I, I think, just so morally reprehensible. When you compare it to, say, what Rusty Reno writes oh, totally over at first things, yeah. it's just a different league of operation. Completely you know, it's a different. different league of operation. It's very, yep. very, you know, unfortunately, the sadly superficial engagement with these issues that we've come to expect from, from evangelicalism. Yeah. I mean, do you think that the church should shoulder even an extra responsibility during an election year? Um, you know, that that's a good question. Um, Did I just hear a drone in the background there, by the way? <laughs> a drone? I thought it was a vacuum cleaner. Okay. okay. I wonder I if somebody was trying it. to assassinate us. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> CBMW just sent a drone over my house. <laughs> um. What? So Amy's vacuuming while we're recording. I'm impressed, Amy. <laughs> well, it's about time. She's being complimentarian. She fetches the coffee, she vacuums, and she podcasts. Amy was vacuuming during the podcast. She's a complimentarian. Well, hey, Amy, can you close this chaos for us? Yes, I close this chaos with how I opened it. I think that evangelical leaders should faithfully serve in their office, doing what they're supposed to do. Yeah. And then I think that will equip all of us well to go in as dual citizens out into our um, neighborhoods and our citizenship and our states and our communities and, and vote as we can with biblical wisdom and knowledge of God and by our own consciences. So hopefully this conversation was a, a, at least a little bit helpful for our listeners today. And, and at least we got you fired up about something to continue the rest of your day with. So thanks for listening to us and be sure to check out our website on mortificationofspin.org and we will talk to you next time. It's all too beautiful. It's all too beautiful. It's all too beautiful. I kind to blow my mind. Get the ducks with a bum. They all come out to groove about, be nice and have fun and listen. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, Bully Pulpit, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. 
The Alliance is a coalition of pastors, scholars, and churchmen who hold the historical creeds and confessions of the Reformed faith and who proclaim biblical doctrine in order to foster a Reformed awakening in today's church. This week at mortificationofspin.org, we have a message by Dr. James Boyce called To Each His Own. In this message, Dr. Boyce uses Romans 13 to clarify how we should biblically view public policy. Head over and check that out. And join us next week for a sobering and important discussion with Heather Evans about sex trafficking and caring for survivors. Rachel Lloyd starts crying and says, why didn't he hit you? And she said, what? This woman didn't know her full background at that point, didn't know her story. What do you mean, why didn't he hit you? Why didn't he hit you? You forgot to do that. It was this redeeming moment where she saw a man and the way he treated his wife. And it was so powerful and healing for her because she was seeing an example of what love and marriage and relationships should be like and how a woman should be treated. That's an example of how we can really incarnationally minister to these women and represent Christ well and give an example of something they've never seen or tasted before. Join us for that conversation next time. And please visit mortificationofspin.org to read, comment, and subscribe to posts from Todd, Amy, and Carl, and listen to To Each His Own. sound i don't know do you still hear it oh yeah. yeah it's like a fan i don't hear it it's i mean it sounded like a drone i'm going down into my i'm going down into my basement till it till i'm sure it's not <laughs> hovering over my hand they have finally they're yes. finally coming to kill us i yes. just not hear it did you get it recorded aaron fantastic it, so it was the, Amy's the conversation heavy- will make sense at the end then <laughs> <laughs> Ha <laughs> <laughs>